Hello guys and welcome back to the second episode of the second season of Tech Talk with Ethan and today I'm here with Michael Myers who is a theater teacher at the Ruskin School and has produced over 150 plays. Thank you Michael for joining me today. Hey, glad to, glad to be here. Bef- to shake things up before we get into the show, we are going to do this little thing called, uh, we have this wheel called the Wheel of Ethan and we're going to okay. spin the wheel and uh it's you'll have to be and uh, a question is gonna be asked to you. So let's spin that wheel. All right, let's do it. Hooray! Alaskan or the Caribbean? Even in terms of where I'd rather be. Uh, yeah, I. I mean, yeah, yeah. Oh, the Caribbean. Warm? You like the heat? Sorry. Well, I mean, at this point, we've all been cooked up for a year. As much as I love Alaska, it's beautiful. The scenery is great. You can get mauled by a bear. But I mean, right now, <laughs> the idea of dipping my toes in the sand in the Caribbean. Definitely. Looking at that crystal blue water, sign me up. For sure. Well, sign that, me up. thank you for playing the Wheel of Ethan. Um, as we get into it here, guys, um, could you introduce yourself and tell us a little about what you do? Uh, sure. I uh, am the associate director of the Ruskin School of Acting in Santa Monica, and I also run the Ruskin Group Theater in Santa Monica, which is a nonprofit theater. The school has been around since 1984. We're the sister school of a place called the Neighborhood Playhouse School of Theater in New York City, uh, where Sanford Meisner taught. John Ruskin, my partner, has been uh, teaching Sandy's work since 1984, brought me on in 1999. In 2002, Anthony Hopkins started teaching a master class for us, and that gave us enough sort of notoriety to be able to start a nonprofit theater. We opened our first play in February 2003, and uh, we're still going strong. We've moved a lot of plays, uh, seen a lot of things, and <laughs> what we are going to have to see after we come back is going to be another one of those adventures, you know? Definitely, for sure. That's it's been so it's been around for a long time. That's that's crazy how long it's been around. Yeah, we've been around for we've been very fortunate, and you know it's all about the people. I mean, we're fortunate mm-hmm. that we have some of the best artists in Los Angeles uh, that want to work with us, and so as long as they want to keep working with us, we want to keep doing it. <laughs> Definitely, for sure. How did you get into teaching? So for me, it was sort of like a nonlinear. Uh, journey. I was a musician. And when I was about 19 years old, somebody told me to take a Meisner class because they said it would really open me up musically. Uh, so I did that. And the connectivity of the Meisner technique is so wild. The first week I started this this work, I went to go see Bruce Springsteen at E Street Band. And he looked right at me. And I was like, wow, that's kind of how I feel doing this Meisner technique. And I realized I wanted to kind of dive into the performing arts more than I wanted to be into music. Mm-hmm. And I think about mm-hmm. six months later, while I was in class, I direct, somebody asked me to direct their play. And I realized I had a real gift for directing and producing. And the rest is history. I mean, a, a lot of it was trial by fire, learning how to write yeah. grants, learning how to raise money, learning how to deal with unions, uh, learning tech elements. I mean, I always joke that when I first started the theater, I didn't know the difference between a Fresnel and a Lico. And if, <laughs> yeah. one of my, if one of the tech people, cause I was really young at the time. I mean, 
when mm-hmm. I started the theater, I think I was 22 years old and I'd been, in, I'd been a musician and I'd been into political science. And so somebody would say to me, yeah, grab the Lico and I'd grab a Fresnel and they'd be like, no, that's, that's, that's a Fresnel. I was like, oh, my bad, my bad. I thought you said Lico. Yeah. Like I was, I was so insecure. I couldn't even admit that I didn't know anything. <laughs> So, I mean, it was really interesting. And then in 2008, uh, the Santa Monica City Council appointed me to the Arts Commission. Um, and I just finished my 12th year on that and was elected chair of it for 10 years, which was another total education in different types of art that I knew nothing about. But, mm-hmm. you know, art is so cool because no matter what side of it you're on, it's mirroring the human condition, which is so perfectly imperfect, right? Definitely, for sure. I agree completely. We, we have a question from Facebook. John Pearson says, ha ha, mauled by a bear. Yeah, well, I, when I was in Alaska once, we went on this hike and the ranger said, if a black bear uh, runs at you, get big, try to scare it away. And if a brown bear you know, comes at you, good luck, because you're probably going to die. So that, that was my, <laughs> I remember that from my trip to Alaska. That's funny. Well, and, and, you know, a lot, one of the questions was Alaska or, you know, the Caribbean. So that fits, right? It does. I know nobody ever told me I was going to get mauled by a bear in the Caribbean. I mean, you know, they might, they might live in the Caribbean, you know, over time, accident. they might evolve. A, boat, a boating accident is probably likely or, you know, tripping. Probably, on something yeah. on the Definitely. For sure. Um, could you tell us a little bit more about the Ruskin School of Theater? Sure. Uh, we teach the Meisner Technique, and it's set up in a two-year program. So a lot of students are professionals. A lot of them have gone to college. Some of them are just starting out. You know, we get people who have been on TV shows, series, who want to learn this work. Because uh, the work is really, it's progressive. And it's all designed around giving people that permission to be um themselves that really knowing that that the character work starts with you know yourself there's no character there's just you under a different circumstance and it requires mm-hmm. people getting honest with themselves i mean it's always funny when somebody says oh i'm a good liar so i could be a good actor and i'm always like Mm-mm. yeah because you know it's really the honesty so we do a two-year program and then we do a scene study class on saturdays with master teachers so in an eight class session we'll bring in directors uh, like Tony Bill, we've been lucky. Ed O'Neill's taught the class. Anthony Hopkins has taught the class. Uh, Helen Hunt has taught the class. Um, Rob Morrow has taught the class. So it's like we have we bring in a lot of great people, and it's a rotating roster every Saturday. And then on top of that, we teach teens and we teach uh, young adults and kids. So we're pretty busy. Yeah, yeah. It sounds sounds like you have a tight schedule all the time. Yeah, it's it's. Uh, it's it's good though, right? As artists, we want yeah. to be as busy as possible. So, uh, I feel fortunate. Definitely, in pandemic, you know, we can't be busy. You know, right? Yeah, I mean, I think the hardest thing of the last ten months was trying to figure out how to scale a two-year acting program, lot from being live to being virtual. So, yeah, that's been definitely. interesting, and 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 also now that we know that even when the pandemic subsides here. Casting is going to be virtual for at least the next 24 months. So yeah. kind of fortuitous that we were able to scale it into an online format that's also helping all of our students still work and, and get jobs because 
you know, being on set right now is, is, you know, they throw you in your little tent. They, you have your face mask on, your face shield on. Then yeah. they yell cut. Yeah. Then they make you go re-put your face mask on, put your face shield on, and you have to try to emotionally prepare again. So, I mean, actors it's are a really lot. being challenged. Right? Yeah, they're being challenged right now. And, and everybody on these sets is being challenged with all of the protocols, but they're, they're finding a way to make it work because artists always persevere. Yeah, you, you said it right there. That's very true. Definitely. Well, it, it's crazy too, like how like, you know, we can still have, you know, TV shows being produced during pandemic, right? <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, we can do theater in a pandemic. I mean, we've done live shows in the pandemic. And while it's not the same as theater, because you don't have that response with the audience, which is why we all go to the theater. We go to the theater to have that shared moment, that shared experience. It's, it's why we like going to a sports game for the moment. Uh, there's still a lot that we're able to do. And so I think we're, we're fortunate that that this pandemic happened now as opposed to 1997 that would have been really yeah, tough definitely for sure you're also a producer um you produced 150 shows um could you talk about your how you became a producer uh just wanting to get things done and not wanting to ask anybody you know mm -hmm. and so learning a, I think when you're producing a show, the first thing you have to deal with is trying to figure out what the property is, you know, the property being the script, right? Yeah. Why is this a good yeah. show to do? Like why, you know, and so I think the, I produced and directed a bluegrass musical that we did in 2019 that ended up moving to the Austin Playhouse in Texas. And, you know, we took the whole cast with us. We moved the whole production and I had to produce and direct it. And it's, uh, there's no business like show business. I mean, the adrenaline, when you have people that want to fund your dream, you know, the amazing satisfaction that it all comes together, the feeling you get when the reviews are good, the feeling you get when the reviews are bad. Mm -hmm. I mean, dealing with a million different personalities. I mean, as a producer, I have to deal with the director, the playwright. I have to deal with every tech person, uh, every sort of front of house person. I mean, there's no, there's no stone that I don't have to be sort of intimately involved in. And it's so cool because you realize that theater is so reliant on so many people. Yeah. You know, it's, it's sort of like one of the things I remind actors about when they are uh, not as graceful as they should be when somebody makes a mistake or a tech person mm -hmm. makes a mistake. Mm -hmm. I'm like, Hey, they made less mistakes than you did tonight. Right. Yeah. And it's like, and so I think we all have to be really gracious in the theater because it is such a family coming together to make these shows happen. Right. Mm -hmm, I mean, definitely. You, know, you can be doing eight shows a week together and that's, that's, that's intense. It sure is. Sure is. I mean, that, that's what I love about it. That right, is a connection, you know, the connections you make, you know, I, you know, as actors and as techs. Yeah. I think that's the, that's the reason we got into it. Right is yeah. that we wanted to, yeah. to feel connected or we wanted to have somebody else feel connected. You know, I think that there, again, I, I can't stress enough that I think everybody who goes to the theater can tell you a moment that they felt changed by it. Right. Yeah. I mean, and when you think yeah. about theater's ability to even change society, I mean, our theater was sort of founded along the model of the group theater where, you know, there were no stars per se and that you were going to try to do the best work. And it was a company of actors that had a common language. And, you know, when the group theater produced Waiting for Lefty, 
when they yelled strike, people ran out of the theater and went on strike because it was just, it was so necessary at the time. Mm-hmm. And, and I think about moments in the theater that I've had, whether it's a show that I produced and directed or when I went to go see Hamilton live. I mean, yeah. I, when I saw Hamilton live, I mean, my mind was just blown. And I think it just was just such a beautiful piece of theater, of life, of art, you know, and it reminded us mm-hmm. of the human condition, right? I mean, we're so divisive in this country and hopefully art can bring us together. And when you watch Hamilton, you realize we've always been divisive, right? Yeah. At the end, you know, you think about it, like, I mean, and if anybody here hasn't seen it, right? Hamilton gets shot at the end by Burr and they were political friends at one point. And when we kind of, when people talk about like, Oh, the country's gotten so negative. I'm like, well, Burr shot Hamilton in the street. So at least we're not, we're not there. Yeah, Gotta exactly. The, the, the bright side. <laughs> Take this for that, right? Yeah. But I mean, but you know what I mean? Like, I don't think anybody that saw Hamilton didn't walk out kind of feeling different. Yeah, for sure. It, it, it's a life-changing show, and that's what theater does, right? It changes. It, it can change your life, right? And, and and equally so, a bad piece of theater can change your life, too. You know, seeing yeah. a bad piece yeah. of theater can make you yes. really never want to go back to the theater. And I, that's, that's, <laughs> that's part of it, too. Definitely. That's, I have had those experiences where it's been like, like, really? Like, you know, come on now. <laughs> I had, I, I, when I learned meditation... Uh, primarily to get through bad plays. <laughs> that's no, that's serious. a good technique to yeah yeah because I mean, as a producer because when I'm producing something or when we're considering developing a new show because we develop a lot of new plays mm-hmm. and so you know you're inundated with having to either go to shows that you're trying to move et cetera et cetera et cetera and I've just found that the meditation helps me stop thinking about how badly I want to get out of the theater. Right, because yeah. you feel trapped. Yeah. Like when you're in a bad play, you're like, I am trapped. Like there, and there's nothing that's going to get you back. You're just like, I can't wait for this to be over. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, it's that. Um, that's really important, right? Because you know, I think in producing, in producing, it's there's a lot of stress that's involved. Correct. Yeah, I mean, because you know, the definition of a successful for-profit play is making one dollar more than you spent, right? And in the nonprofit theater world, which is where the Ruskin lives, you have to bank on about a third of your operating budget comes from ticket sales and then the rest is from grants and donations. So you are, it's not a question usually about whether you're going to lose money. It's a question about how much money are you going to lose? Yeah, (laughs) exactly. Yeah, so... Very, very, yeah, and, and that, and that's, and could you explain the difference between nonprofit and the other? Well, what's the other type of uh, the for profit for profit model, which is like Broadway? Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, sure. I mean, so most of the theaters in America that develop plays are nonprofits. I mean, if any of your audience saw the movie Sideways, it was originally a novel that got turned into a movie, and then I turned it into a play. Uh, with the help of a good peer of mine, we were able to get the rights to turn the book into a play with the guy that wrote the book. And Des Mackinoff, who won Tonys for Big River and Jersey Boys and mm-hmm. uh, and the Who's Tommy, he came to see the show and he moved the show to La Jolla Playhouse, which is another nonprofit theater, right? Mm-hmm. So a nonprofit theater is basically, it's a 501 
501c3. So the organization is intended for the public benefit, which is why, you know, you can do shows and you can lose money because, you know, you're not beholden bunch of investors who are expecting a return on their investment, right? Yeah. So when it goes to Broadway or when it goes to off-Broadway, when it starts to get commercial, the commercial theater element, all that money that's coming in, these people aren't getting a, a tax deduction. It's not an altruistic venture. They expect to get a return on investment, okay. right? They expect to get paid. And uh, it's why a lot of shows close because they're only going to lose more money, yeah. right? You know, you know, you think about some shows that you thought were going to be huge. They're not as huge, right? Whereas like, so a lot of people lose their shirts investing in theater, but then every now and then you get a wicked, you know, you get a who's Tommy, you get a Jersey boys, yeah. you get, a, you get a Hamilton and you can make some money off your investment. And that's why, you know, the adrenaline is there for the investors, just like it is for the rest of us Definitely to pick, to pick that hit show. Mm-hmm. I, I that that's that's great and <laughs> for sure um so of course of course we're all in a pandemic you know as you know 10 months right it's been 10 months yeah it's been 10 months it's crazy i see i i came and th- I, it's crazy because like i feel like i was just in school you know the other day right but it really it's been you know it's been that long right and i miss you know live shows and we all do of course yeah um <laughs> Definitely. We were, yeah, we were literally two weeks away from opening uh, the LA premiere of the play version of Guess Who's Coming to Dinner, and we had Eamon Joseph, oh, wow. who's the star. Eamon Joseph, who's the star of uh, Snowfall on FX, he was playing the lead role opposite Dan Florek, who had been on Law and Order for twenty years, and so we had this great cast wow. lined up. Such an important play, uh, perfect timing. You know, all the money was dumped into it. The set was done. Everything was done, and then boom everybody out of the theater so uh you know it'll be interesting to see i still got the setup in the theater but i don't know that i, I don't know i don't know that an 11 person play is going to happen for a little bit so yeah. i think it's, it's we're all going to have to think a little bit smaller for the first couple of years definitely well yeah, I, I, mean, I mean like of, not smaller in terms of concept but smaller in terms yeah. of cast size you know? definitely for sure um so you so you said you you had you had done a pl- you had done a show and then it closed because of pandemic. Um, how has, mm. I mean, how's pandemic shaped the online school? Or is it online? Uh, it, it, yeah, I mean, it totally. Get, we had about a a week and a half to try to figure out how to shift. You know, we we have a lot of cl- classes. We have uh, eight eight uh, classes a week that meet twice a week, right? So that's sixteen mm-hmm. classes a week. Uh, and then we have all these other classes. So there's about 20 classes a week and it was a big, big push to figure out how to get them all online and how to get them all online successfully. Right. And, and there was a learning curve and there was people not being able to do it anymore just because of the pandemic. And it's been really, uh, interesting and tough, but also cool because now we're teaching people that are in different countries who get to join us, which is, a neat thing yeah it is that's cool how, how does one teach an online theater class acting class um well it depends i mean it depends on what you're working on but if you take a scene for example uh just like a lot of the times i try to pick scenes that are conducive to a zoom environment so 
phone call scenes, you know, courtroom scenes, interrogation scenes. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. And you have the actors do it on Zoom and then you give them feedback about how to do it more honestly, about how to be more yeah. specific. You know, I mean, it's it is possible. You know, I mean, we just we've had multiple play nights, scene nights where you have 200 people tuning in to watch actors set up their rooms or, you know, you suspend disbelief too, right? You do mm-hmm. a, a yeah. play where it looks like they're both in the same place because of a virtual background. Definitely. Yeah. For sure. It That's 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 a cool thing, right? It's like, you know, we can be inventive in this time. And, you know, for acting, I've seen some, I've seen some virtual shows too and it's crazy what you can do, right? With technology. Yeah. And also, you know, knowing knowing the limitations. I mean, I, I think virtual shows should be no more than, you know, 30 minutes. I think that people's mm-hmm. attention span isn't really there. You know, there's too much other stuff to watch. So yeah. I think that, that you have to hit them hard and, and, and get them, you know, get them in and get them out in this virtual world, right? Because otherwise they're going to tune into the Tiger Woods documentary on HBO or the flight attendant or yeah. So I mean, our audiences are inundated with options. Hmm. Definitely. Yeah. For sure. So so I'm like so I'm guessing you have you've you've 16 classes you said, um, and how many do you how many do you teach of those 16? I teach uh, about eight classes a week. Okay. Yeah. Nice. We have another question from Facebook. Um, does the Ruskin plan on continuing virtual classes once we're able to go back to the classroom setting? Oh, yeah. John Pearson? Yeah. yeah, no, we definitely are because we've really enjoyed being able to teach people not only all over the country, but all over the world. So I think that uh, even when we go back, there will be a virtual element to what we do. Definitely. That, that, would, be, that would be good too, I think, to you know have both. Yeah, I mean, I think it'd be great. And I think that you know, there's a lot that we still haven't figured out yet, right? You know, depending on what guidelines are, how many people can you have in a room, mm-hmm. et cetera, yeah. et cetera, et cetera. You know, what is the square footage that you're going to need to kind of pull it off? I think one of the reasons why online classes work better than, you know, doing in-person out- outdoor classes is because the outdoor classes in L.A. County, at least, everybody would have to wear a mask. Yeah. And, you know, acting is so expressive and that if you can't see – anybody's face it just becomes it's you're better yep. off on zoom yeah yeah well it's like i mean have you had i mean if you've had issues with you know like you you know tech issues with that how have you dealt sure. with that you know the best you can just like in the theater right yeah you know it's just that that reminder i mean what do i always say it's like i when i was really young I used to get worked up over everything and over yeah. the last decade i've really come to this adage of only thing I know is the show is going to start around eight and probably somewhere around nine 45, the lights are going to go down and whatever tech stuff mistakes that happen in between, we'll deal with them as they come. Right. I mean, yeah. you can be as prepared as you can be and that's about it. Right. Exactly. That, that's a lot. That's, that's the joy of life theater, right? Things happen and things go wrong and that's why we do it right for the element of that, like excitement and that. Absolutely. Stress. Absolutely. Definitely. Um, as we wrap it up here, any advice for young students who want to go into producing? What advice would you give uh, them? I mean, yeah, I would tell people to just do it. 
you know, to just start trying to figure out how to do it. I mean, I think the biggest thing that young artists of all kind need to get used to is being told no, like taking the no. But if you have something you want to produce, the first thing you would do is start getting a group of actors together and holding a reading, inviting some people that may have some money to that reading. I mean, you could also, there's a lot of online platforms, not only that like are like the Indiegogo, but, you know, Fractured Atlas, you know, people can get a nonprofit deduction. You don't have to be a nonprofit. Mm-hmm. You know, and start trying to figure out how to put up your first show, you know, and, and trying to get involved in it and, and, and say yes to everything in the beginning. Like, mm-hmm. you know, say yes to things, volunteer for things, be part of things. You know, people get jobs in this business because people want to be around you. Right. I mean, and yeah. as much as people yeah. don't like to admit that that's part of it, it, it is, you know, ambition is going to get you so much further than talent. Right. Because I've Mm -hmm. seen a lot of people that are so talented, but they're also very entitled. And then I've seen people that have talent, but they have more of the ambition and they become great because they have that, that thing, that thing that they, you know, this is what they want to do. They'd be poor doing it and they want to be the best at it. And so they're willing to take the nose. So that's what I would say to young people trying to start out is like, get some people together, do a reading start asking people like, you know, call up theaters in your neighborhood, call Mm -hmm. up, you know, people with an empty storefront, starting to think about different ways to get it up. You know, I mean, there's, it's, 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 uh, you know, be willing to call producers who've done it and say, I'm a young producer and I just love 10 minutes of your time and, and be okay with getting 10 no's a day till you get your yes. Yeah. That's, that's great advice. Thank you so much for that. (laughs) My pleasure. To help support Tech Talk with Ethan and P3 Theater Company, please visit p3theatercompany.biz. Thank you so much again, Michael, for joining me today, and hope you guys have a great evening. Thank you. Hey guys, thank you so much for listening. If you liked the episode, make sure to follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Anchor, and on Instagram at p3theatercompany and Tech Talk with Ethan. Have a great day.